It's time for Truth Unfiltered with Pastor Chad Harvey. 99.99999% of your anxiety problem is a theological problem. You don't think Jesus is really in control. No, because if I was in control, here's how I would run planet Earth. And since planet Earth is not going according to the plans that I think it ought to have, therefore, everything is spinning out of control. And I'm just telling you, Jesus Christ is either in control or he's not. That's Chad Harvey. And welcome to today's broadcast of Truth Unfiltered. We're glad you're here. Pastor Chad is the teaching pastor at Cross Assembly Church in Raleigh, leading you to a deeper understanding of the Bible by putting the scriptures in context, emphasizing how God's Word applies to our daily lives. We invite you to join us and allow the Holy Spirit to bring Truth Unfiltered to you. Now, here's Pastor Chad. Revelation chapter 1 says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signify it by his angel to his servant John. Now look at that word revelation. The word revelation, uh, the Greek word is apokalupsis. Apo means away from. Calypso means to veil. It really means to remove the veil. So revelation was not given by God to make things more confusing. No, it's to remove the veil of what's going to be like in the end times and see God's plan. And it says to his servant, John, four times in this book, the author refers to himself as John. He and his brother James were fishermen. They were called the sons of thunder. So it means they probably had a bad temper. In fact, we see this. Remember this story where Jesus goes to the Samaritan village and he's disrespected and James and John get mad and said, let's fall down, call, call fire from heaven and just incinerate all of them in Jesus' name. And Jesus said, no, you can't do that. And that was John. On the cross, Jesus entrusted his mother to John. You remember this? He says, John, take care of my mother. That, that's this guy. John later on became a pastor at the church at Ephesus. Legend says that he was dropped into boiling oil by the Romans and he survived that torture. He was exiled to the island of Patmos as an old man and he eventually died of natural causes in Ephesus. And so Irenaeus, Clement, Origen said that this book was written during the persecution of Domitian. And um, it's interesting. John, here's his nickname, see if y'all remember. The disciple that, anybody know? Jesus love the disciple that Jesus so John says I'm the disciple that Jesus really had this special connection with and yet he's dropped in hot oil he's exiled on Patmos which tells me you follow Jesus Christ you might just have some persecution even the disciple that Jesus loved got grief Jesus put it this way they hated me they gonna hate you as well and so Patmos here's a little map on that it's a it's a small island right off the coast of Turkey between Turkey and Greece actually I think it's owned by Greece and if you go to Patmos today they'll take you to this cave there on the island and they said it was in this cave that John was praying and he received the revelation that we're about to read Um, look at verse 2 who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw blessed is he who reads And those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Look at verse 3. Revelation is the only book in the Bible that says this. Hey, read me. I'm special. I will give you a blessing. Greek word makaros. I'll make you happy if you read this book. Not freak out. Everybody who reads the book of Revelation. No. It's happy are those who read this book. In fact, 2 Timothy 4.8 says that there's a special crown 
There's a special reward in heaven for everybody who has longed for the second coming of Jesus Christ, who studied these prophecies. How many of y'all in the end time prophecies? Okay. Then that verse, 2 Timothy 4, 8 says, there is a special reward waiting for you. Now, what kind of blessings come from reading the book of Revelation and studying it? Well, number one, it gives us peace. As you read this, you start to see the plan. You start to see that things are going to turn out okay. Here's the analogy I've given you before. I don't watch movies with nudity in it. I try not to watch it with a lot of, you know, bad language, but I love bloody, violent movies. And there was one I watched a while back called Midway. It's about the Battle of Midway during World War II. And it's kind of an intense movie, but here's the thing. Even though it was intense, I never got nervous. Why? Because I'd read my history book, and I knew that in the end, the Americans won the Battle of Midway. And so while it was exciting and a little intense, I was never scared because I knew we won. Beloved, I see what's going on on planet Earth and it gets a little bit intense sometimes, but I'm not scared. Why? Because I've read the book of Revelation and I know in the end God wins and that gives me peace. And so number one, it gives us peace. Here's the second blessing. It gives us perspective. You start reading the book of Revelation, you're no longer looking at world events through the eyes of CNN or Fox News or Breitbart. Suddenly you're starting to see what's going on through God's perspective. That old Baptist pastor, Vance Havner, said this, put a child of God in a dungeon and just give him a Bible and a candle, and when he comes out of that dungeon, he'll know more about what's really going on in this world than all of Congress, all of the Pentagon, professors, and scientists combined. It gives us God's perspective. Here's another one. It gives us persuasion. How many of y'all have a friend or family member that is not born again that you want them to come to Jesus Christ? Let me tell you something. As we get closer and closer to the end times, people get more and more interested in eschatology, in in these studies of end times. It's a beautiful open door for you to share with Jesus as they start saying, what do you think is going on in Israel? What do you think is going on here? It it gives you persuasion. You can share Jesus with them. And the number four, it gives us passion. When you start to live like the day may be the last day, how can you be bored? How can you be bored when you wake up every day thinking, Every prophecy in scripture has been fulfilled. There's nothing left. Jesus could come back today. That gives me passion for living. And so um, I want you to look at Revelation 1, 12 through 20, because here's what the Bible does. I love this. It's almost like God is saying, John, I'm about to show you some scary stuff. You're going to see dragons, beasts coming out of the ocean. You're going to see bloodshed and earthquakes and all that. But John, before I show you all of that, I got to give you a picture of who Jesus is because I don't want you to ever forget no matter what you see going on on planet earth, Jesus is still the last man standing. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Before I show you all the crazy stuff that's going to happen, keep your focus on Jesus. That's what he's saying. I love this story. In Matthew chapter 14, uh, you know this story that Jesus is watching his disciples. They're in this violent storm on the Sea of Galilee. And they're in this boat, they think they're going to die, and then Jesus comes walking out. He is defying the law of physics. He is walking on the water. Have you you read this story before? And Peter says, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come and join you outside the boat. And Jesus said, Peter, come on. And Peter literally gets out of the boat and he starts walking on the water. He starts to defy the laws of physics. And in verse 30, it says this, but... Seeing the wind, Peter became frightened and he began to sink and he cried out and said, Lord, save me. 
Do you see what happened? When his eyes were on Jesus, he's all right. But when he starts getting his eyes on the tumultuous winds and rain, he begins to sink. And that's what's happening to some of y'all. Y'all have gotten your eyes off of Jesus and you're getting your eyes on this conflict, that conflict. You watch news 24-7. Your eyes are everywhere else except on Jesus Christ. And what it says in the book of Revelation before all this other mess takes place, keep your eyes on Jesus. Before y'all give Peter a hard time for getting his eyes off of Jesus, let me remind you, there are 12 disciples in the boat. There's only one of them that actually had the guts to walk out. So give, give the guy a break, okay? All right, now... Look at verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I felt his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys to Hades and death. So here's what God is saying. John, if we look at all the global geopolitical events, get your eyes on Jesus. And let me tell you some things about Jesus, John. Number one, Jesus cares. Where do you see that? Look at verse 13. In the midst of the seven landstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. You say, well, how does this Jesus cares connect with that? Leviticus 16 talks about the robe of the priest. The robe of the priest in Leviticus 16 looks a lot like that robe that Jesus is wearing. In fact, one of the reasons why we don't understand the book of Revelation like we ought to is we don't know our Old Testament. There are 404 verses in the book of Revelation, and in those 404 verses, there are over 800 allusions to the Old Testament, and this is one of them. When he sees Jesus dressed in this robe, you read Leviticus 16, you realize, Jesus is our priest. What does that mean? Jesus stands between me and the Father. Jesus says, Father, I know it's going to happen in Chad's life today. He needs some extra grace today. Jesus says, Father, will you give Chad some extra grace today? Give him some extra strength. Or he'll stand between me and the Father. And he'll say, okay, Father, I know Chad just asked for that. Don't answer that. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Don't answer that prayer. Here's what you need to do instead, Father. That's what a priest does. And in fact, we see this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. It says this. Look, we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus is cold and unfeeling. No, he was in all points tempted as we are, yet was without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus is this high priest that says, been there, know what you're going through, know what you're facing. I've been there, I've done that. I know how to intercede for you. I'm your high priest, I care about you. Jesus cares, number one. Number two, Jesus cleanses. Look at verse 14. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. Verse 15, his feet were like fine brass. When you see white in the Bible, that's a symbol of purity. Feet like brass. Again, go back to the Old Testament. Did you know every article uh, in the temple and in the tabernacle that had anything to do with cleansing of sin was made of brass. 
What this is saying is, Jesus is the one who cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Jesus is the one that forgives us of our sins. Now here's like, oh, okay, yeah, Jesus forgives our sins. No, look, when you start to understand that when I got saved, you got saved, your sins, past, present, and future are forgiven. God doesn't condemn you. There is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. We are righteous and pure in Christ Jesus. That liberates you to live the kind of life you're supposed to live. In fact, Dr. David Simmons, who was a famous uh, psychologist, summed up his career in this way. Talking about Christians, he said, the uh, most causes of emotional problems among Christians, okay, most problems, emotional problems among Christians uh, boil down to this. Either the failure to receive God's grace and forgiveness or to extend that grace and forgiveness to other people. What well, that's telling me is a lot of y'all are wrestling with a lot of problems because you don't understand that the fact that Jesus Christ died for your sins and that you belong to him means you are covered in the purity and the righteousness of Jesus Christ and God doesn't condemn you. And if God doesn't condemn you, nobody else should condemn you because you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ, he cares, he cleanses. Look at this, Jesus convicts, verse 14. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. Fire means judgment. And so the piercing eyes of Jesus has the ability to kind of cut through the outside and look on the outside and see what's really wrong with us. Church in America, we are doing no one any favors by having this message. I'm okay, you're you're okay, judge not lest ye be judged. That's the American gospel right there. Jesus Christ said, No, I'm the good physician. Good physicians don't bring you into their office, tell you you're okay, knowing that you got cancer. No, here's what a good physician does. A good physician looks at you, diagnoses, says you got a problem and I got the solution. And Jesus Christ looks into my spirit and he said, Chad, you have a problem, it's called sin. I got the solution, it's called my precious blood. And Chad, I can forgive you of all of your sins because Jesus Christ convicts. You see that? Look at this. Jesus commands, look at verse 15, and his voice as the sound of many waters. I've never been to Niagara Falls. I've always wanted to go. And I was reading an explorer that explored it years and years ago, like centuries ago. And he said, Niagara Falls, when you were a mile away from Niagara Falls, you could have people talking to you and you couldn't even hear what they're saying. All you could hear was the sound of of Niagara Falls a mile away. And John is saying, Jesus' voice is like the sound of many waters. It's like Niagara Falls. Now, it's interesting, about 50% of Niagara Falls has now been diverted to run power plants. Did you know that? So there's only about 50% capacity as it was several hundred years ago. But at that time, surrounded by people, you can hear what they're saying. I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot of voices talking to y'all today. Marriage is this. No, marriage is that. Sin is this. No, sin is that. This lifestyle is okay. No, that lifestyle is okay. Believe this. Believe that. And I'm just telling you, there is the voice of mighty waters that drowns all those voices out. It's the voice of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And John says, I don't care about all these other voices. There's only one voice, and that's the voice of mighty waters, Jesus Christ. And then look at this. 
Not only does Jesus care, Jesus cleanses, Jesus convicts, Jesus commands. Look at this. Jesus controls, verse 16. He had in his right hand seven stars. Now, we won't get into all this. The stars just symbolize the, the, the church, Christians. Right hand in the Bible means power or authority. And the hand of God, particularly in the Old Testament, meant God's control. So here's what John is saying. The life of us as followers of Jesus Christ, we are in the mighty right hand of Jesus Christ, which means Jesus controls our life. Some of y'all think everything's spinning out of control. Everything is not spinning out of control. Why? Because I'm in the right hand of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Jesus is in control. I've told y'all this before. 99.99999% of your anxiety problem is a theological problem. You don't think Jesus is really in control. No, because if I was in control, here's how I would run planet Earth. And since planet Earth is not going according to the plans that I think it ought to have, therefore, everything is spinning out of control. And I'm just telling you, Jesus Christ is either in control or he's not. When you start to realize you're not calling the shots, he is. You're not in control, he is. I'm just telling you, this piece that passes all understanding starts to take over. Bruce Larson was another famous counselor in Manhattan. And Larson said, uh, I've shared this with some of y'all before, Larson said that when people would come to me with anxiety issues to my counseling practice, he said, the first thing I'd ask them is this, um, are you a Christian? If they said, yeah, I'm a Christian, Bruce Larson said, then what I would say to them is, all right, let's, let's leave my office, let's just go for a walk. He said, I would take them down Fifth Avenue and right off of Fifth Avenue, there's this big giant statue of Atlas. You know who Atlas is? That Greek God that has the world on his shoulders. I've actually seen the statue before. And there's that statue. Atlas is there with planet Earth on his shoulders and he's straining and he's sweating trying to keep the earth up. And Larson said, I would tell my clients, you can live your life like that or, and he said, I'd take them across the street to St. Patrick's Cathedral. And I've seen this before. Behind the high altar, there's a little statue of Jesus as a boy. And his hands are like this, and planet Earth is sitting in his hands. And he'd say, or you can live your life like that. Which one you want to live? Atlas trying to keep your whole world up, or Jesus holds my world. And John says, I look and I see this man with the seven stars in his right hand. Jesus is in control. And then let me give you one more as well. Jesus, number six, conquers. He said in verse 16, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. Sharp two-edged swords, these war swords in those days, those were the weapons of conquering armies. What Jesus is saying is, John, never forget, no matter how bad it gets on planet Earth, in the end, I conquer. I win. Now, all these things are beautiful, Okay. Jesus cleanses, Jesus cares, Jesus, all that stuff is great. Can I tell you fundamentally what I think God is trying to say to John and John is now trying to say to us? Here it is. Jesus is God. Now you say, well, we're Christians. Well, we believe Jesus is God. We all let me pastor you for about five minutes right here because I got to deal with something right here in this church. I, I talked to a, a Baptist last week. I said, Baptist leader. I said, man, here's what I'm dealing with in my church. I said, y'all ever have to deal with that in the Baptist church? He said, no, it's just you crazy Pentecostals have to do this kind of stuff. And so, look, I thank God for our Jewish roots. I love the Hebrew language. I love studying Judaism. 
But people are starting to go back into this Jewish roots movement. And I'll get a call like this. Here's what I get. Uh, Pastor, I was reading the Torah the other day, uh, praying to uh, Yeshua. And, uh, you know, I felt that next Shabbat we ought to. And I thought, oh, God, here we go. It's coming. And it's a whole thing of pastor. We need to shut down our church on Sunday, go back to Saturday worship, have everybody wear a yarmulke, blow the shofar, make sure all you guys are circumcised. And that whole Jewish roots movement. Here's the problem with that. Dr. Seth Postel, has, he's a Messianic Jew. He studied this. He said, here's a problem. Y'all Gentiles that try to go back to the, uh, back to the Jewish roots movement. He said, In, invariably, it tends to lead people toward doubting the divinity of Jesus Christ. I've had it in this church. Solid people who got sucked into this mess and now five years later, they don't believe Jesus is God. And John is being told by God, Jesus is God. I mean, it's all over the Bible. Look, somebody asked me about this. I said, you shared this in Cafe 242 a couple weeks ago. And I said, what was it? And they reminded us, yeah. And some of y'all have heard me say this. When that person comes to your door and knocks, and wants to talk to you about God, if they're not Southern Baptist or Pentecostal, nine times out of 10, they're part of the cult. And they will say, uh, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about the Bible. Can we do a Bible study? And if you ask this question, let me ask you something. Do you believe Jesus is God? They will say, we don't believe Jesus is God. And then they'll say this, the Bible never says Jesus is God. And they know what you're gonna say. Well, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And they will say, that's not what the original Greek says. And I remember I told y'all, the next time they tell you that, I want you to say, oh, I thought the original Greek said, I don't care how you slice it, the word is very clear, Jesus is God. And beloved, this is serious stuff. In fact, there's a story from the fourth century of an emperor named Emperor Theodosius, there was in the Eastern Roman Empire a debate going on. Are the Arians right that Jesus is not fully God? Or the Orthodox right, Jesus is fully God? And they asked the emperor, Emperor Theodosius, make a decision, we'll go with whatever you say. And so he kept going back and forth. The emperor would say, no, he's not God. Yeah, he is God. No, he's not. Yeah, he is. And so the day came where he was going to go into the arena and make his announcement. As emperor, I believe either Jesus is God or Jesus isn't God. And as he and his entourage are going into the arena, an old priest came up and started to goof off with the emperor's little son who was part of the entourage. Called him silly names. And the entourage was indignant. They said to that old priest, you can't do that. That little boy's the, the emperor's son. He must be treated with all the reverence of the emperor himself. Old man, whoever dishonors the son, dishonors the king, drag this priest away. And as that priest was being taken away, he said to that emperor, emperor, when you make that decision, you remember that. Whoever dishonors the son, dishonors the king. And when you say he is not God, he is not God in flesh, you have dishonored the son and you have also dishonored the king of the universe. And you see him as God in this passage. Look at verse 16. And his countenance 
was like the sun shining in his strength. I see Jesus, his countenance is like the sun. Exodus 33 and 34, God's radiance shining like the sun in its strength. Psalm 104.2, God clothes himself in light. 1 Timothy 6.16, God dwells in unapproachable light. Jesus shining in this unapproachable light says he is God. Look at verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. He falls at the feet of Jesus like a dead man. Matthew 2, 2 and 11, the wise men fell at his feet and worshiped Jesus. Matthew 14, 33, the disciples fell down and worshiped Jesus. Matthew 28, 9, post-resurrection, and they fell at the feet and worshiped Jesus. Remember a couple years ago, there was a laughing revival where people would say, I get in the presence of Jesus and I just fall over on my back and I just laugh hysterically. It was real popular. Some of y'all went to these places. I go to these revivals and I get in the presence of Jesus and I fall on my back laughing. Can I tell you something? In the Bible, when people came into the presence of God, they didn't fall on their back laughing. They fell on their face saying, woe is me, I'm undone. And then you see this. Verse 17, but he, Jesus, laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid, I am, that's the name of God, did you know that? Yahweh, I am the first and the last. Did you know that phrase, the first and the last? It is used in the Old Testament to refer to Yahweh, to God. And now Jesus says, I am the first and the last. Isaiah 41, four, Yahweh, God is first and last. Isaiah 44, six, God is the first and the last. Isaiah 48, 12, God is the first and the last. Revelation 1, 11, and this is a textual variant, so you all only catch this if you've got the King James or New King James. Jesus says, I am the first and the last. Thanks for joining us for today's Truth Unfiltered broadcast. We invite you to join us again next time for more great teaching from Pastor Chad Harvey, teaching pastor at Cross Assembly Church of Raleigh. I believe gathering together is an integral part of the life of a Christian. We're meant to live in community with others. What drew me to Cross Assembly is the community, the fellowship. I was eager to get that family feel and to have that moment of coming into church and just knowing these are my people, these are the people of God. And one way that I felt that at Cross was through groups. Being able to come here and feeling like that group of people, they were my people, they were my family. Groups are important because it is a way to learn how to be the church and not just go to church. It's one of those things that definitely makes you feel a sense of belonging, understanding that you're not alone. One of the most impactful semesters we've had has been a semester where almost everyone in our group was going through big life changes. There was sickness, loss of job. As one person shared, we prayed, then another person was encouraged, and they shared, and we prayed. Throughout that semester, we saw God move in amazing ways. We have this saying that friends become family. That's what we've experienced through gathering together. You're finding people who are serious about their faith, who want to grow deeper, who 
also are looking out for you like a church family supposed to look out for each other. My relationship with God has increased dramatically. Being connected to the group really allows people to challenge me. That general accountability for my prayer life and kind of checking that. My favorite aspect of groups is serving. Serving is really a chance to humble yourself. You're no longer focused inwardly. You're no longer focused on your life, your problems. You're focused on how can God use me to bless this other person. The more we can get together and align with the vision of building and sending out those spirit-filled agents, the more community will see the true love of Jesus. When you serve together with someone, it not only helps you to no longer be inward focused, but it can also strengthen a bond between the friend that you're serving with because both of you are humbling yourselves in order to help someone else. It can create memories that you'll never forget. If you are not in a group, I strongly encourage you to be a part of the family. You don't want to miss these opportunities to grow together, to gather together, to fellowship, and to serve one another. If you would like more information about Pastor Chad or Cross Assembly, visit crossassembly.org. Again, that's crossassembly.org. You're always welcome to visit us at any of our locations for Sunday morning services. You'll find locations and service times on our website. To support this ministry, text CROSS to 45777. That's CROSS to 45777. Join us again next time for more teaching with Pastor Chad Harvey, teaching pastor of Cross Assembly Church in Raleigh, and more of God's truth unfiltered. Unfiltered.